to another episode of the Sensibly Cynical Podcast. Today's episode is going to be absolutely fire, like for real, because shortly I am set to be joined by Live Chaos. He is an absolutely amazing MC out of Toronto, Canada, by way of Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This guy has paid his dues, been through the grinds of the music industry, and he has come through with flying colors, killing the game. Always. Because if you look up his stuff, he has a smooth, chill vibe to his music that you really can't teach. And everyone should check him out. He was on Insta Live with me a while back. I appreciate everyone who joined us. So here it is, my interview with the one and only Live Chaos. All right, with me on the line, this guy is an absolutely legit MC out of Canada by way of Florida. Live chaos. What's good, man? What's good, homie? What up, Sean? Toronto, Canada, right? Yeah, that's right. Toronto, Canada. Greatest city in the world. Yeah, man. Well, I appreciate your time, bro. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me on, man. Always appreciate it, man. Always down to network. Always down to collab. Uh, I've been checking out some of your podcasts like recently, too, man. And, uh, yeah, I love the setup, man. And, and, you know, my apologies in advance. If I start asking questions, I'm getting used to not being the podcast. <laughs> no worries, man. Sometimes that happens to the best of us, man. I'll do that sometimes where it's like I'll accidentally interrupt someone's conversation. So, you know, it's it's a give and take, you know, but I am excited to get into your uh, story, man. So talk about that. How did you start, you know, your musical journey? Um, so I wrote my first rhyme when I was eight, but really I got to give credit to my older brothers. Uh, my older brothers raised me on some real good quality pop from the time I was um, like I remember, I remember like looking through like the Takao uh, credits and, and listening to Wu Tang when I was like five, six years old. My brother had like the, the Wu Tang side on his backpack, and I think around the time I was eight, they were they were a lot older than me. They're about seven years older than me. So if I was eight, they were probably about fifteen. They're twins, by the way, my older brothers. Yeah. And sometime around high school, um, they started freestyling, and uh, you know they would always play beats at the house. They'd always have uh, people over, and once I got seen like four or five people go back and forth into a cipher, like I, I was just fascinated by it. So. I, I literally, no joke, wrote my first rhyme when I was eight years old. Uh, I just kept writing from there. I remember I, I, I was finally able to freestyle, like a, like a pretty crappy freestyle by the time I was 10. Like I could like I could put rhymes together like on a beat, basically, <laughs> like off the top. I, I didn't really get good until I was like probably like 12, 13. Then around school, I would just kind of, you know, flow off of whatever was going on around me, whether it's like some teacher stupid toupee or, or, you know, lockers or whatever the case was. Um, but then I, I discovered battling probably like when I was like 14. And uh, I don't know if you've been on YouTube, but you'll see some, like, old videos of, like, when I was 14, I was probably, like, 80 pounds, <laughs> just this <laughs> tiny kid, going over battling these grown men. Uh, but I love battling, man. I just love, I, I love freestyle um, altogether, man. And it's kind of sad. It's not the same, um, it's not the same culture as it was before. Like, mm-hmm. you know, even if you look at battles today, everything's written and, and pre-written, like, three months ahead of time, too. Right. And uh, the, the beauty of freestyling was just, it, it, this, is a, this is the problem with freestyle battles. It was, like... You kind of had to go through a lot of shitty MCs before you get to like the conference finals and things like that. To the best eight battlers, sure. it wasn't entertaining towards the end. But um, 
But when you get cats who can freestyle and are really good off the top, something about that improvised line of whatever's happening right then and there, like double tracking in your mind. So like even though I'm spinning something, like I'm eight bars ahead thinking of the next punchline, putting mm-hmm. together the setup for it. So uh, yeah, I just fell in love with the battle culture in general, man. I love hip hop. Uh, I was always encapsulated in it. Um, and then yeah, once I started recording and performing, like you know, it just it just took off from there, man. It's always been a passion of mine. I don't see it slowing down anytime soon. Yeah, man. So talk about that. Like, what was it? The King of the Beats tournament? What was that? Uh, the first battle I was in was uh, was, was reggae wear battles, and it was uh, it was uh, it was actually a shopping mall in Miami in this uh, store. And uh, literally, they would push all the clothes aside, open up the space, a giant crowd would come inside, and uh, yeah, they did a tournament. Uh, you know, the winner of each. And the first battle, I I wasn't even supposed to battle. I was actually going there to support my brother, and uh, they still had extra extra slots on the uh, competition. So you know, I went and signed up just for fun. And uh, I went through two rounds. I actually ended up seeing my brother in the third round, and I got through him. It was a funny battle. It was a funny, obviously, because, you know, the family relations and stuff. I uh, got through him, got to the end, and, and I won my first battle then and there. And uh, from there, because I was in that scene, like, I, I was able to network and meet other people. I met H2O. I met a lot of, I met a lot of dudes who, who really excelled, you know. Uh, but back then, you know, they were just, you know, uh, meeting up and ciphering and things like that. But because of that, you always kind of, you were kind of in the circle. You knew which events were coming up. And you planned in advance, you know, whatever was happening. But When was that? Yeah, was, this was, uh, I would say, about 2005. So, yeah, 2004, 2000. No, no, a little bit sooner. I'm sorry. Uh, I would say 2001, I started actually entering events. It didn't start really building up, I think, until around, like, 2004. I don't know if you remember when 8 Mile dropped. When 8 Mile yeah. dropped, for some reason, there was battles, like, every single week all over the place. There was, like, a skate park, in school. Um, there, was a, there was a battle on the radio station, 99 Jams, which is a, it's a big uh, hip-hop station. Uh, in South Florida, right. and they they would have a, a daily competition. It was kind of like a cipher, and, and they'd play a beat. And I held it down for a month straight. They had to retire me. They uh, they awarded me an Xbox. But uh, I met some pretty dope cats along the way. I don't know if you remember Jin the MC. Uh, he was a freestyle Friday mm-hmm. champion uh, on uh, on BET. Yeah, uh, Chinese kid. He was sick off the top, <laughs> and yeah, he won like seven weeks in a row. He actually got signed to Rough Riders. Uh, and this is this is a, a dude who used to live in, 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 in Miami, and so I've seen him mm-hmm. at battles. He was always good at battles too. And I remember talking to him on like uh, AOL Instant Messenger or whatever. He was telling me man. to New York. Yeah. AOL, <laughs> man, I I messaged so many <laughs> chicks on there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, eight sex locations. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, teen chats. Yeah. <laughs> it was a wild time. Yeah. So uh, he moved to New York, and we were part of this. Uh, message board called mcbattles.com where people would just load up from all over the country actually all over the world where people would load up their own uh, videos and a lot of people were on that Mortal Technique uh, was on that message board too he would uh, upload some of his stuff on there and uh, yeah Jin went to New York he, he got into the, the freestyle fight he got signed to Rough Riders but he really wasn't as great of a, of a freestyle MC he was he wasn't that great of a songwriter and uh, so his, his album kind of flopped and he disappeared for a little while and I, I think he's a Christian rapper now went from a battle MC to a Christian rapper so you know, I, I met him. I met the likes of Recognize, um, who took. He got signed with uh, with Mayday to uh, to Tech Nine label, uh, Strange Music. A lot, a lot of dope cats. You know, I, I still like, love the battle scene, man. I love like, up here at King of the Dot in Toronto is actually the biggest battle league in the world, and they do an excellent job, man. Like the quality of the videos, like the, the editing, and mm-hmm. even the, the competitors themselves are just nasty. But it's a again, it's like a it's a different element because now there's no beat. Right, so they're just acapella, which is kind of like a kind of looks a little WWE-ish, you know, like John Cena like going up against somebody. And then it's also written too, so they just like write like you know months in advance about yeah. the person, and it gets pretty. I don't know if you watch some of those battles, but they get pretty savage. Like they get pretty personal about 
Yeah. yeah. Well, I remember the Wild and Out. You know, that was that was the show. <laughs> that was the show I watched as a kid. Yeah, so I mentioned to start the podcast that you're actually originally from Florida. So talk about your transition to uh, Toronto. You know, how was the journey there? Uh, when I came up to Toronto, actually, it was, it was pretty much like around 2005, I got licensed as a mortgage broker, man. And I was actually in the mortgage industry. And uh, once the industry like, kind of imploded, I don't know if you remember when the recession was going on. It was pretty like... 2008? Yeah, right around 2008, 2009. Yeah. Luckily, I, I hung on pretty well. Like, I was still in sales and I was doing okay. Uh, for a little while, but it, it still got worse. And at the time, there were actually like blacklisting mortgage brokers. Um, so when you were going to like look for a job elsewhere, it would literally say like mortgage brokers need not apply because one, because of the amount of fraud and stuff like that that was going on in the mortgage industry in Florida, mm-hmm. and then two, they just thought like once the market turned around, uh, you were just going to leave the company and go back to you know uh, doing mortgages, I guess. So uh, I, I, I got into construction. I was doing construction for a little bit, and then even musically too. Um, not to say that there's a ceiling or anything like that, but it, it just got kind of redundant. Like, you were doing shows, but you're, you know, you're with the same, you're pretty much with the same local acts, like, all the time, um, same crowd. I, I just felt like I was running into the same thing over and over again. I didn't really see much of a future or, you know, it, it felt kind of stagnant for a bit. So mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I, I have family in New York. My mom's side of the, the family is all in Queens uh, in New York, and, uh, you know, and I'm Canadian, and my dad's side of the family is up in Canada. So, right. You know, to, to get a fresh start, best thing to do is... Uh, to another country altogether. <laughs> so in the beginning, yeah, it was a little bit of a culture shock. I would say it was a great decision because it's, uh, you know, it, it helped me out a lot. Like, I mean, uh, I met my wife here. Uh, I got reconnected with, the, with a lot of family that I'm very close to. Uh, a lot of new opportunities here. You kind of, musically, you kind of had to start from, from from the bottom again because you were just a name that nobody really heard of. But at least you had a little bit of a resume coming from Florida too, right? Uh, so no joke, the... Um, the first show I finally got onto, I, I, it was actually a mistake, but I, I literally paid my way on it. I've never paid to get on a show before. I was usually either invited by the promoter or obviously I would get paid to do the show. But it was um, it was Apathy performing, and he's like one of my favorite underground rappers, right? Right. So I saw it, and then I, I hit up the promoter and just kind of asked him if... Uh, there was a promoter, and then there was Apathy's manager. So I hit up Apathy's manager directly, who was doing the tour for him, and asked if there was any slots open like you know, for the local Toronto show. And he said, not really, but you know, for, for 100 bucks, I... I Really close, and uh, he put me on a, on a lot of spots. I, I, I got networks from that event. 
them to, you know, open up for Ari the Rugged Man, opening up for Onyx. Uh, I met MLP, opened up for them. Um, so it put me on to quite a bit. So, I mean, that what would have been a $100 investment really got me out there. And uh, I ended up on, on tour in Ontario also. Really? Uh, so, it, yeah, so it led to a lot of other shows. And uh, I, I, uh, I pretty much reward that or, or you know, I conclude that pretty much a, was the original tour that opened up for me. Yeah, so how did you meet... DJ, was it Deluxe? How, who's that? Like a friend or what, how'd that start? Yeah, well, he's actually a childhood friend, man. He's actually, uh, you know, shout out to Ruben. It's uh, Ruben's cousin. And uh, Ruben was basically best friends with my older brothers. Um, so Deluxe used to come around when he would visit. And he'd bring his MPC and stuff. He'd always be working on beats. He always made dope beats. You know, we never uh, collaborated earlier. But I think it was sometime around 2000. I was still in high school, but we did the song Whispers together. Um... And, uh, yeah, that was about 2000 and 2005. We did that one track together. I was in a group at the time. I was with the Deadbeat. So, you know, we were kind of rocking shows down in Florida, a lot of shows in West Palm Beach and Miami. Mm. Um, we, we did Rock the Bells after our album dropped. So the first Rock the Bells was in Miami. And, mm. you know, it was, a, it was a wonderful experience, man. We got to open up for Wu-Tang, Nas, uh, Most Def and Quali were there, Common. It was a huge, huge festival. Uh, I'll never forget that. And so uh, Deluxe did a couple beats for that album and for our second album also. Uh, when I moved to Toronto, it was kind of just a fresh start altogether. And uh, he was also going through uh, like, a, like a reset on his own too. You know, he had been dealing with some things and kind of uh, came out of like a little bit of a mental hole uh, where he was, you know, inspired now creatively. He just wanted to make music and stuff. So he was showing me his beat collection. He had a ton of stuff. Um, I would just, and, and this just helped me get it. I didn't have any friends or anything up here in Toronto. So it was just me. I got a job and like, it's funny because I didn't have a license at the time. I was just taking the bus to work. The, the majority of the Project Lion album, uh, I wrote just, just walking or on public transportation. Uh, I literally got really good at just like, having my earphones in and walking down the street and just typing rhymes while I was, uh, while I was listening to his beat. And, uh, you know, I, I met up with a studio over here uh, through my cousin. Uh, pretty fire studio. The, the engineer that was working there was also from Florida, so we linked up pretty well. He was from Jacksonville, uh, uh, Brian Moon. And he was just an amazing, like, I've never worked with another engineer since then. And it's kind of, kind of troubles me because he was, I got spoiled to how good he was. So he would, like, record and, like, he would literally be mixing it down, like, as he's recording. So literally, like, when you're on a budget at the time in the studio, like, I know some, some rappers will probably, like, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll book, like, three hours in advance and they'll just do a song, like, in those three hours. Me, because it's like, a, I'm booking an hour and I'm trying to, like, fit in as much as I can, I would constantly, like, try to memorize and work out my lyrics, make sure everything's down pat, because I try to squeeze out two tracks when I get in there. And he was a perfect engineer to do it with, because he didn't have to take too much time afterwards to, to, you know, mix things down, level the EQ. And I got into a weekly routine, so I was doing it every Sunday. So every Sunday for an hour, I would, I would go down there and try to knock out two tracks. For Project Lion, we, I think I recorded, like, close to 32 tracks. So even though we only, like, used, like, 19, I think, there was, like, 32 tracks overall, uh, all the less beat. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it was just great quality, and... Uh, Sadly, he overstayed his visa, and he ended up going back to Florida. I lost track of him, and I don't know where he was. Last time I, I talked to him, he was like in the mountains of Colorado or something. Free, free spirit, like hippie kind of dude. Well, so I mean, uh, I wish I could get, I wish I could get him on a, on a new project, you know, to mix things down. He was, <laughs> he was just amazing. You know, some engineers like actually play, you know, musical instruments, and those are the best ones because they know, you know, notes, chords, everything like that. So when they mix things down, man, it's like it's the, it's like a meticulous practice. I see Eastside. I like Reevolution. That was kind of a cool vibe to it. What was the most inspiring song? What's like your inspiration, I guess, musically? Uh, you know, uh, in the beginning, it was mostly like when we did, when I was with the crew, the Deadbeats, we were just having fun, man. We were literally like 18 to 21 years old, 
and we were just, you know, still going to keggers and partying and things like that. We had uh, one of our homeboys who was pretty much part of the crew. He was a graffiti artist named Decal. And he used to, like, in our sessions, he would literally be, like, while we were writing, he would be uh, sketching and, and doing graffiti and stuff. He ended up get, becoming pretty famous. He signed to Marvel now, and he does a lot of the covers for Marvel. So shout out Decal. Um, but, yeah, was, so at that time, it was mostly just partying, having fun, punchlines, you know, battle stuff. Um, a little bit after that, I did a song, I did an album with DJ Paper called Intifada. And it was mostly, it was mostly just political, man. It was mostly just about social justice, uh, police reform, the prison system. And uh, that really, uh, what inspired me a lot during that time, I was just reading a lot. So uh, what we ended up not doing, but what we wanted to do was every track was based on a book I read, actually. You know, so uh, we were going to try to name the, each song after the book that I read that inspired the track. But because of cop- copyright issues and things like that, you can't really, uh, you know, it's not the best thing to do. So. Uh, but that was all inspired by books and, and inspired by politics, and I'd, I'd like to get back to that, uh, you know, pretty soon. With the luck, um, as sad as it is, it, that what inspired both of those albums, Project Lion, um, I had literally just did uh, a year in prison. So I did a year in state prison in Florida. I was at Moorhaven, and uh, when I got out, that's uh, that's when I came to Toronto, you know, to get a fresh start. You know, once you're in Florida and you get a felony or anything like that, it's, uh, it's almost impossible to even get a job at Walmart, pretty much, right? I remember they used to have a. Uh, they used to have a saying that was like, because a lot of guys on probation in Florida are yeah. from different states, and they're just living there. Like, they're originally from Boston or New York, like Snowbird, and they get mm-hmm. in trouble, and they get stuck in Florida because they got to do probation. So they used to say, uh, you know, Florida, come for vacation, stay for probation, yeah. incarceration. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of rare to run into the Floridians that don't have, uh, you know, some kind of some kind of background uh, for the most part. So, I mean, that was the sad part, but... So then, um, that was the Project Line album. That was really what inspired it. It was basically me getting a fresh start, getting a reset, being able to, coming to Canada kind of allowed me to use the experiences that I had to become the person I wanted to be. You know, when you stay around in the same areas with the same people, it's very hard to get out of, you know, old habits and things like that. It's only a matter of time, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so when, you, when I came to Canada, I was, I, was, I was pretty much allowed to use those experiences to build up a better person. And so it gave me a lot of confidence. Um, and Project Line is basically about that, you know, taking the good and the bad and the trials and tribulations and, and turning it into something positive. Um, and then, you know, ironically, uh, so, you know, me and DJ love, love the album. Uh, we, we had great chemistry with it. Uh, we, you know, he's, he's so uh, musically inclined with beats that it's like I would, he would send me a loop, I would write to the loop, record it, send it back to him, and he would rearrange the beat to the lyrics over again. There's a lot of change-ups and things like that. And I loved working with him, man. It was a very... Uh, the beats on there aren't typical, like, hip-hop, boom-bap. Right. Uh, a lot of them, uh, you know, he gets pretty creative on it, and it allows me to kind of... His kind of beats are, are, are the type where, like, when you listen to it, you can think of a story or an experience in your head, mm. and it just, it, like, the pen moves itself almost. And then he's also he's also an incredible turntablist. He's also a battle DJ, so he's won numerous competitions uh, in Chicago. He's based in Chicago now, but he's won numerous competitions, uh, you know, uh, scratching, and uh, he's amazing on the end. That whole scene's more like a subculture, right? Like, it's a whole new, like, thing. Like, underground stuff. Yeah, yeah it's uh, it's pretty... I remember when I was in the 90s, there were videos, but they were, like, in... Uh, we would watch the DMC competitions, which would be breakdance battles, and the, the DJ competition was a huge one. It was crazy. Like, they would do all kinds of nutty stuff. Like, they would... They could make, like, the like the guitar sound, or the, the, the records, like, the scratching sound, like, mm-hmm. guitars. Uh, I've seen guys, like, do, like, showcase and, like, set the records on fire while they're scratching. Like, they do all kinds of nutty stuff on there, but I remember watching it then, but it was all based out of, like, Germany, and, like, it was mostly, like, European places where they were doing the competition. Um, but he was in America, and yeah, it's a, it's a huge, yeah, it's a huge subculture, man. Um, 
you know, I don't know as to what level it's at now. Like, I haven't really seen any recent competitions, but I can only imagine, man. There was um, there was DJ Schubert, who was like, I think they retired him, because he was, he was another Filipino DJ, but he was just, um, I mean, he was matching competitions. He was just like, I don't even know his kind of like wrist movements to do those kind of cuts and, and, and mixes. And he came out with like a, it was like a, D, it was a trippy DVD called, uh, I think it's called Twister. Twister or something like that. And uh, yeah, it was just like almost like this anime cartoon of just scratches and, and, and dope beats. And yeah, I mean, they get creative with it, man. There's also uh, the X-Men. I don't know if you've heard of the X-Men, but it's like a super crew of DJs. I believe they're based out of California. Mm-hmm. They do shows and it's just five of them on the turntable going back and forth, just ciphering with each other. So the love can do that. So I, I kind of just respect, aside from beats, I respect his skill as a DJ because he's a DJ's DJ. Like, it's almost like how I can freestyle. Um, you know, he has this background where it's like, he can still fuck up a set. He can still rock a show by himself if he wanted to, really, you know? Yeah. Uh, even even recently, he's been doing since quarantine and stuff like that last year. He was doing a lot of DJ sets on um, on Twitch. And, like, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just entertaining. Like, me and my wife would just, like, watch it, like, Saturday nights. It's like being in a lounge and, like, you know, your boy's DJ. Yeah. So it's pretty dope. Because of the success of that one, we, we went mm-hmm. into Lost Boys. Lost Boys was, was, was kind of a repeat, unfortunately. They, uh, I, I used to go back to Florida a lot. Like, I would travel. Yeah. Uh, Did your mindset change, like, career-wise? Were you like, all right, I'm going to have a different, like, focus? Understand that, man. Like, 
Nine to fives and shit. Yeah, it's, 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 I was happy with it, but the second time around, once I got jammed up, it's kind of like not in a negative way. When I say like you, you develop this, don't give a fuck attitude. It's not that like I don't care anymore, but it's also like the things that life throws at you. You really just have to take it in stride and move on and just keep going. Like you can't really dwell on it. So it's not that I don't give a fuck, but it's also gave me a certain kind of confidence that's just like, all right, whatever happens, happens. But you always got to bounce back and you always got to come back stronger. And you always gotta build yeah. on top of that, you know? Like, who in your opinion is like the GOAT, like the greatest of all time? For me, it's Blast Off from the Roots. Like, uh, like hands down. Uh, especially recently with the new stuff that he's been coming out with. I've been a Roots fan since I was a kid. Like, that was really what, what turned me on to. Well, away from, like, because I grew up on a lot of New York gritty rap and, you know, storytelling and things like that. Like, mm-hmm. Nod, you know, Biggie, uh, Wu Tang. Blast Off kind of brought this finesse. He made it kind of he made it cool to be intelligent. You know, and he was with a live band. I always wanted to rock with a live band, but the Roots are just a phenomenal band in general. Like every, every, uh, every, every instrument that they play, like they're an expert at. Like Questlove is, a, is a, one of the top drummers. You know, they have one of the best basses. And Black Thought from what it's worth is, is to me is the greatest MC. And the reason I say this is because if, even if you check out the stuff from the, from the early 90s on those Roots albums, those verses, if they came out today, are still mind-blowing to me. They're still like impressive to me. They still run circles around like I think 95% of MCs. Uh, second is performance. If you ever see him perform, like, the Roots concert has been the, the greatest concert I've ever seen. They perform mm-hmm. for like three, four hours straight. They never stop playing music. Uh, his breath control is amazing. Like, he has no hype man, nothing. And he'll just keep going three, four hours into it. Drugged in sweat. He'll stop. Mm-hmm. He'll freestyle too. His freestyle is amazing. Uh, and then also, like, he can just rap about anything. Like, and he makes mm-hmm. like, whether it's love, whether it's politics, whether it's the cop, whether it's the neighborhood he's from, whether it's some smooth jazz. Like, he could just, he could, he could, he could annihilate anything. And I just think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm always impressed with it. And he's, he's always gotten better. Like, I'm pretty sure he's almost 50, if not 50 now. I, I thought he, he's the type of MC that couldn't get any better than, than what he was doing before. But he, he continually impresses me. With hip-hop, the stuff that I like from producers are samples. So so they'll take samples from classic records. The Lux is like an expert at this. He'll take some classic stuff. And he chops it up to the point you can't even recognize the original song anymore. He'll take the bass lines and he'll redo the bass lines in different notes and create something completely new. You know, a good example of this to see is um, they used to have, I don't know if they still do it, but they used to have a tour called Beat Society where they would take these best producers like, uh, I believe Mad Lib was on there one time, Ninth Wonder, um, all these great guys. And what they would do is like, let's say there's seven of them with their equipment set up on stage and they would drop a sample. So it might be something like an opera. It might be like Polynesian jazz or something. Something very like... <laughs> like unique and um, each one of them would have a set time to make a beat out of it and then they would just go in a circle and it's insane like the different types of beat like one beat would just be hardcore like something you would just like MOP would rock to and another <laughs> beat could just be something completely different something completely smooth and like a love song um, so I like that I like that that, that that crate digging sampling chopping up the sample for the most part EDM like uh, you know I, I like that Tropical House that uh, what is it Major Laser uh, used to produce like I, th- I find that pretty you know so, talk to me about uh, this Rob Ford freestyle. What? When did you do that? Um, so, yeah, man, rest in peace, Rob Ford. So, that was, I think, 2012 when I first moved to Toronto. Rob Ford was the mayor here. So, I don't know if you know the history of Rob Ford, but he was the mayor of Toronto. Um, basically, some some, uh, some dudes came out with a video, and, and they, they basically were telling the press they, they had a video of him smoking crack. Um, so, everyone was going crazy about this. The police were actually following him around. Like, there was a huge investigation into it. He kept denying it. But there was so much evidence out there of, of people who knew he smoked crack. And even when they released, like, the, uh, the discovery of, like, what the police were 
driver. This is the mayor, mind you. He, he fired his own driver, and he would throw out like a Mickey, like a vodka. So he's drinking in the drive-thru. He would throw out the Mickey, order McDonald's, eat McDonald's, throw out the trash like in the parking lot. It was wild. It was just a wild time. So every every day there was just something else in the news. He was denying it. People were confronting him about it. He was kind of losing his shit and, and getting a little wacky. So when uh, Jay-Z dropped it out, I forget which album it was, but his song, the single was Tom Ford. Mm-hmm. And when I heard the beat, the beat was amazing. So I, I wanted to rock the beat regardless. Uh, but, you know, obviously with what was going on here in Toronto, I thought it was perfect, perfect uh, segue into our politics. So, you know, I dropped Rob Gordon. I don't know if you heard at the end of there was a there was a time where he was like uh, basically denying it at a press conference. What's the hardest thing about being an MC, like especially now? Um, I think monetizing it. I think monetizing it and, and, and really making good money off of it right now. Uh, like when Project Lion dropped, it, it, like you could sell albums and you know you could make some good money. Like I, I pressed a thousand copies of that and sold all the physical copies. Like I don't even have a physical copy for myself. Plus whatever was online. That was a good time, you know, you can make money, put aside a budget for your next album, add money for like a feature, uh, video, stuff like that. And then when you do shows, you know, you're rocking shows. So things changed where like, I think musically, before people used to, basically, the, the goal was to sell albums. So you would do shows just to sell albums, that's it, sell your merchandise, and that's how you make money. It's transformed into something where now you don't make money off the albums anymore because no one buys albums, they're just streaming everything. And... The, the payouts on Spotify and iTunes and all these places are so low. They're so terrible. Like, I have way more listeners and way more streams and, and, and way more fans than I did then. And mm-hmm. I'm making less money than I did when I was selling albums, you know? So you're not making as much money. And so what, what, what happens now is artists basically have to tour and you have to do shows. Right. You know, to, and- to make money. That could be a pain in the ass, too, because that, that deals with the... It, if you don't have a manager and things like that, like when we were on tour, there was times we'd have to, like, chase down the promoter, you know? And we got to a point where we were just, like, taking the money up front or making sure we signed the contract because you know most promoters are okay but then there's a lot of these small towns that like you know they, they want to put you on they, they put a whole bill up and they don't attract as many fans in these like small towns and stuff mm-hmm. like that and so if the money's not there then i don't know what their goal is like you know to run out on it but right. you know when i was young and you used to do shows it was like they kind of like they kind of uh finagle you with this like oh do it for the culture right or, you know do it for promotion it's free promotion there's 200 people there they're gonna right. your name that's cool and all, but like you know, once you've done that for for decades now, I, you know, I've already paid my due. It's time to get paid. Like I gotta yeah. get paid. You know, I don't know what to tell you. You know, I've mastered my craft to this point that people are coming to listen to it or purchasing it. So yeah, that's the that's the most frustrating thing. So now it's like it's not like anything else. It's not like selling weed or anything like that. It's that <laughs> instant gratification where you're making money right off the bat. You're investing mm-hmm. time and effort into it, and now because of because of uh, COVID, and, you know, it's a very tricky thing. Ralph Marciano recently released an album and he, he didn't stream any of it. He has a, he has a pretty loyal fan base, yeah. but he's only been selling his albums right off of his website. He's been making money, you know, he's been doing it that way. You got to kind of maneuver around the system, though. So that, that I get what yeah. you're saying is, you know, it's all streams and you don't really need a label, I guess. I don't think so. I don't think you need a label anymore. Uh, I mean, aside from the fact that they would just give you a budget or there may be, you know, you might have access to like, you know, radio and uh, because they do payola and pay for play and things like that. And it's pretty expensive, right? But with the internet and SoundCloud and all this other stuff, and I just got into a sense where it was just like, I'd rather build up my own fan base organically, you know, do it the grassroots way. Um, it's not going to be instant. It's not going to be overnight. But I can slowly see it building. And, um, you know, you basically want to get paid for what you're worth and, and your value. So that's what, why I would think most artists would want to go that route. For instance, there's, there's rappers out there that, like, um, you know, a lot that you, that people haven't even really heard of. Right. Still, like they're like classified as one of the biggest like Canadian rappers over here, mm-hmm. and he's not. I don't. I'm pretty sure he's not really known anywhere. 
So how did Drake? Did Drake change change the game up there? I I think uh, I think after Drake, like it, 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 Canada became like an epicenter almost for a lot of talent because you had Drake, you had The Weeknd, you had a lot of producers. Forty, um, these guys blew up. Um, Boy Wonder. So um, he basically like opened the gates. Like you can't even really hate. Like, I know there's people out there that just like hate on him for whatever reason, but. At the end of the day, I mean, the guy's been in, like, top 10 billboard since he came out. I mean, that's a little bit more than just, like, a yeah. wonder, wonder or a gimmick. Like, you gotta, you gotta really change, you gotta really maneuver. Dude, I remember, I, I still remember bumping that, uh, that Tuesday song, bro. When I was getting, when I was getting drunk after work on a Tuesday. <laughs> Probably say the same thing about the Raptors when they won it. It provided a spot, it provided a spotlight. I always like Toronto because I'm a big Magic fan and we got T-Mac from you guys. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, T-Mac was my guy. So I'm a, I'm a big Magic fan. I used to love Vince Carter, man. I he went to Orlando. It's interesting that you say it's the Knicks because aren't the Knicks and Heat rivals? Vince Carter, and, like, he would, him and Alan Houston, I mean... Talk about what you got going on in the future, man. Do you got any, you got anything lined up? Like guys like Marlon Kraft and, and these dudes 
again, I kind of wanted to go back to, 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 to that kind of skill uh, of doing those things. So we've been recording for a while, man. We've got a few projects. We started doing videos. Like, I've invested in a camera, and I've been learning how to edit videos. That's a big thing for me, too, now. Uh, I want to produce my own content. Yeah, uh, man. Consistently. So I did the, the last four episodes where we were trying to record. We would record, send it to me, and I will try to, like, do a video and edit the video, and I will try to do it on a weekly basis. But it was, it was tough to get into that cycle. Um, so we, we're still recording, but I still got to get, I got to catch up with videos now. Uh, but we're not all the way, well, we have enough to really mix and master and put out. Um, and, but I think a big thing is we're just trying to figure out, like, how we're going to do that now. Like, are we still going to stream? Um, are we going to just sell the album, like, from our website, you know, for the sake of, uh, you know, earning money? Or are we just going to stream? Because here's the thing, right? With streaming, it's like, like, like a place like iTunes will literally give you, like, 60 cents. No, I'm sorry, they keep 60 to 70 cents. Uh, of every dollar spent, right? So if you buy a single, literally I'm getting like 30 cents out of it, which is kind of frustrating because it's like, you know, you guys had nothing to do with writing or recording or producing any of this. The other the other hand of it is, I think I've, I've gotten a lot of fans and a lot of listeners from that from those platforms because there's people who have discovered me that I don't think uh, would have found me if it wasn't on those streaming services. Kind of. Um, when I put out the Lost Boys album, there was like orders from some, some pretty like, I had an order from like Estonia and I didn't even know where that was. I had to like look it up on a map and pandemic how did it affect your career kicked unfortunately
Honor's all mine, man. I appreciate you taking time. Yeah, no problem, man. Anytime, anytime, man. Look forward to talking, chatting, chopping it up with you again. You stay safe, okay? All right, man. Have a good night. Thanks, everybody, for who uh, who came on and joined us. Okay, now that was awesome. It was great chatting with Live Chaos. Um, I have so much respect for the guy, and um, I'm looking forward to seeing more of his success moving forward and eventually having him back for a reunion. All right, coming up next on the podcast, I am set to be joined by Don Damari, the host of A Teaspoon of Healing podcast. She has been on the podcast a few times before, but I have the question for her. You know, I was thinking, especially during these COVID times, how does one achieve ultimate peace and serenity? Well, she is going to come on the show and give me my answer. Um, That should be up, I don't know, early next month. Um, I also am recording the next episode of Mr. Cynic on ufology which is the study of UFOs. So, thank you for listening to this episode of Sensibly Cynical. You can check us out on Twitter at Cynical Sensibly, Instagram Sensibly Cynical Pod, and you can check out our Facebook group. Also, if you could please, please subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. I would be highly, 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 highly appreciative. Okay, that's it. Please stay safe. And take care.